Okay, good morning. Welcome to Servants. We're going to continue our, uh, our study through the book of Acts. And today, we're going to be looking at spirit-led witness. And uh, my dad used to be a vicar. And so growing up, I was the subject of many, many, many sermon illustrations. But my dad's here today. And the temptation to think of a good illustration to bring him in is overwhelming. But unfortunately, I haven't managed to think of one. But I do have a story of uh, my own experiences trying to witness to a co-worker. Uh, now, this happened about 10 years ago. I was working in London, and at that time, my faith had really come alive for the first time. And I was working in London as an animator, and for the most part, animators, apart from being incredibly charming, um, are generally kind of nerdy, recluse characters. But there was this one guy that I used to sit next to who didn't really fit that mould. Uh, he was a lovely guy, but probably the last person that I'd want to try and share Jesus with in my office. Uh, anyway, he, he ended up hurting his back snowboarding, and it was causing him a lot of grief. It was kind of this recurring injury that he'd been having. And over several days, I really felt God telling me, oh, you need to pray for him, you need to pray for him. And at that time, that was just the most terrifying thing to me. I thought, this guy's just going to become absolutely nuts if I kind of just say, can I just pray for your back? And it took me all day to pluck up the courage um, to try and talk to him. And there was a kitchen outside of the office. So I thought, well, at the end of the day, I can get all my stuff on and I can corner him in the kitchen and then make a quick escape, you know, if everything goes wrong. And the opportunity came. I grabbed my bag. I sort of followed him out. And uh, I went to open my mouth and go for it. And I was just about to. And then the elevator door that was next to the kitchen opened up. And I just jumped inside and then just failed on the whole thing. And I just felt absolutely awful. I was like, oh, you are such a coward. This is absolutely pathetic. And um, it actually felt much worse to have not gone for it um, than it could have ever been if I'd made a total fool of myself. And so the next day, I thought, right, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to go pray for this guy. So first thing, he went out to the kitchen to get his morning coffee, and I followed him out. And... Um, yeah, I just, I managed to get the words out. I said, oh, you know, can I pray for you? It must have seemed really awkward. And he said to me, you know what? That's the second time someone's offered to pray for me working as an animator. He said he used to have this really horrible eye infection. He couldn't, it wouldn't go away. And then a co-worker in his old office offered to pray for him, and it, and it got healed. Yeah. And, um, you know, he didn't become a Christian right then and there. But he used to say to me, Oh, the big man upstairs. Can you just ask your big man upstairs if he could do this? And it opened up this whole realm of conversation for us about Jesus that previously wasn't there. And we, we used to talk about it, you know, until I left about a year later. And I just pray for him, uh, you know, I just pray for him since then. I just, you know, he comes to my mind. I just pray one day that we'll meet in glory. Um, but anyway, back to Acts. So I'm just going to read uh, verses 26 to 30, and then we'll go through verse by verse. And look at spirit-led witness. So, verse 26, Acts chapter 8, in your Bible. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
And the, Philip, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Now, just for a bit of context, um, in Acts, Jesus has been crucified, has been raised to life, and is now ascended up to heaven. And the promised gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out, and the beginning of the church age has begun. And up until this point, the gospel has stayed relatively within the realms of Israel. And this is why chapter 8 is really significant, because the gospel of grace is about to go global. And our big idea today is that spirit-led witness is built on obedience and faith. So, let's look at verse 1. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now before I go on, has anyone prayed, Lord, would you just make it really clear? Just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I must have prayed that a hundred times. Just make it super clear, Lord. I really want to follow you. Just, you know, make it clear. Send an angel or something. Um, And God isn't always, you know, as specific as I might like, but we can and should expect, be expectant of God's direction in our lives. God wants to lead us, and he wants to guide us. And one of the ways he do, does this is supernaturally, through impressions, through thoughts in our minds, um, or in this case, an angel of the Lord, probably in a dream or a vision. And I don't know about you, but I like to record my dreams down, because I don't want to miss anything that God might be wanting to say to me. And admittedly, it's not always clear if it's God speaking or I've just eaten too much cheese the night before, but there have definitely been times when God has spoken to me. And one particular time, I had this dream, and the exact same, pretty much the exact same scenario played out the very next day, and it stopped me making a big decision in my life at that time that I'd been praying about. Now, having said that, it's important to understand that if our Christian walk is built solely on waiting for dreams, visions, and supernatural events to direct us, we're going to be significantly hindered. And I'll explain what I mean by that, because Philip is clearly defined by two words, obedience and faith. And direct supernatural instruction is received in addition to daily obedience, not in place of it. In Acts 6, We see Philip's obedience to love and serve the people just as Jesus commanded us to love our neighbour just as he loved us. We read in Acts 7 of Philip's evangelism just as Jesus told us to go out and make disciples. We also read in the same chapter of the Spirit working in power through Philip to perform miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick, just as Jesus instructs his disciples in Matthew 10 Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. We shouldn't need instruction to do any of those things because the instruction has already been given. Therefore, we need to cultivate a daily attitude of obedience to God's word and faithfulness with his gift, the Holy Spirit, and from that place be open to further direction from the Lord. And I don't want to limit God by saying he won't direct you if you're not you know, spreading the gospel or loving your neighbour. But if you've ever heard the phrase, it's easier, to move, um, it's easier to steer a moving car, then you'll understand how God can see someone walking out their faith and think, now, this is someone I can work with. So, sorry. Philip 
a deacon of the early church and an evangelist received supernatural instruction to go to Gaza. So, let's continue from the end of verse 26. This is a desert place, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, what I want us to see here is that the spirit directs us strategically. And it's important to remember that God's strategy is a whole lot different to the strategy of man. In this scenario, he takes Philip out of Samaria, where he was actually experiencing quite a fruitful ministry, and he tells him to go to the desert. Not the kind of place to start a revival, if you ask me. And this would seem utter foolishness to the man who has not cultivated an attitude of faith and obedience. We want to know the finer details. We want to have a list of why, and we are more inclined to ask God why instead of saying yes in obedience and faith, because God knows what he's doing. And we walk by faith, not by sight. And actually, I think it's no coincidence that a meeting of this significance should take place here, because many biblical characters, sorry, I'll just find my pages, many biblical characters have been in desert places, and so it doesn't surprise me. Isaiah 43 says that God makes a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So just remember that because I'm going to come back to it in a minute. But let's just have a quick look at this Ethiopian. What can we learn about him? So he's a Gentile, that means a non-Jewish person. He's a eunuch, meaning a castrated male, unfortunately. And he's a court official in charge of the treasure of the Queen of Ethiopia. So This man was high up in the realms of government. He had a lot of influence and a lot of responsibility. And the fact that he's a eunuch goes hand in hand with this kind of territory because people in those positions, men in those positions at that that time, would be castrated as a way of pacifying their sexual desire and making them more trustworthy in the eyes of the government. Now, as I said, Acts 8 is symbolic of the gospel going out beyond Israel to diverse people groups, and, di- of different, and people of different social standings. And for many scholars, this Ethiopian man represents the first Gentile to be converted to Christianity, even a, a pioneer of Christianity in Africa itself. And here's where the, the desert comes in, because I just love this. Because God takes Philip to a place where there's no abundance, where there's no life, And he connects him with a man who similarly has no ability to produce life or legacy. And he presents him with a gospel of eternal life and eternal legacy. And even though this man could father no physical children, spiritually he became the father of many. Even a whole nation. Is that not God? Does that not have God's fingerprints all over it? Because our God makes streams in the desert, and our God gives life and legacy to those who have none. And our God has a big, a bigger plan and picture. And we're not always privy to it until afterwards, and sometimes we're not even privy to it then. Sometimes we don't understand how God is working. 
He's setting the stage in our life. He's moving the chess pieces around. And if we haven't learned to hear and obey, we can miss what he's trying to do. And this leads me to my next point, because the Spirit wants to draw us into God's purposes. And it's by faith that we enter them. Up until this point, all Philip has heard is go to the desert, join that chariot. And look at his example of obedience. Verse 30, Philip ran to him. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And what I want to see here is that through the Spirit, Philip partners with what God is doing. That being to rescue the Gentiles. It could have been really easy for him to stay in Samaria and build up a bit of a reputation for himself. Or at the very least, ignore the instructions to go to the desert because his ministry was going well. But as soon as any person or any movement starts acting according to their ministry success, spiritually it starts to wane and it will eventually die. We have to remember that we are co-laborers with Christ. He did not come just to take away our sin and bless our own endeavours, but rather we have been brought into the plans of God. And we see here Philip not only obeying when he hears God's voice, but looking for how the Spirit wants to lead. When he sees the man reading Isaiah, he takes it as an open door of opportunity to start a conversation. I remember there was this time I was sat on a train and uh, this young woman, she must have been in her early 20s, got on the train. She looked a little bit worse for wear. And she sat down, and the, the conductor came down the train, and he got to her, and she didn't have a ticket. And he said, well, if you can't pay for a ticket now, I'm going to have to fine you. And it would have been far more than the, you know, the cost of the ticket. And I just felt a prompting from the Spirit to say, you should pay for this person's ticket. So I paid for her, and the guy was like, oh, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll just pay for her. I'll just pay for her. And she was really grateful. She was trying to find my details so she could pay me back. And she was like, well, you know, can I just, you know, she was trying to pay me back, I guess. And I kept saying to her, this time I must have seemed like a bit of a nutter because I was like, oh, it's from Jesus, it's from Jesus. And um, she keeps trying to, like, get more information. I was like, Jesus gave you, Jesus gave you. <laughs> um, this was, you know, after the office incident. So I'd grown a little bit more in confidence by that time. Um, but looking back on that incident uh, since, I just pray that she does meet Jesus, the one who paid a far greater debt for her, and that she'd remember that incident, remember that ticket, and think, oh yeah, Jesus has done something far greater for me, and turn to him. So, not only do we see Philip being led by the Spirit, but we also see through the eunuch how the Spirit prepares a man's heart, even unbeknownst to himself. Because the eunuch is your classic truth seeker, as it were, intent on knowing the God of the Bible. And he's traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to find out. And he would have paid a lot of money for the scroll that he was reading. And Brent sent me a great little nugget today that I didn't know. He was saying that a full Bible in those times would have cost, in today's money, far above two million pounds. So he's really, you know, paid the price to just have this scroll 
to, uh, to redesign. It wouldn't have been something in commonplace. It would have been in the synagogues. So you can really see his pursuit of God. And it should really encourage us that when we witness to people, we can trust that God may have been working on their hearts weeks or months or years before we've even had the courage to speak to them. The story I told you at the start, I had no idea that he'd had previous encounters with other believers. And the woman on the train, I pray that she has more encounters with, with other believers. Because God is the author of salvation. Ephesians 2.9 says, But it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Only God can birth someone into the kingdom. But he chooses to do it through you and I, through faithful believers. So let us be attentive to listen to the Spirit in our life and look for the opportunity that he wants to provide us. And if you ever wanted an example of low-hanging fruit, the Ethiopian eunuch is a perfect example. And it shouldn't be um, a surprise to us that Philip is invited to sit next to a man of this kind of stature. Jesus said to his disciples, you will stand before kings in order that you might be my witness. And here God connects an ordinary believer with an, uh, an influential man serving in the courts of the queen of Ethiopia. And there's a rich history of faithful believers standing before important, powerful Gentile leaders. Think about Joseph, Moses, Esther, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, and I'm sure you can think of others. They all stood before influential Gentile leaders to testify about God. And this is why it is so important that we pray for our leaders. Yes, we see their shortcomings. Yes, we see their failures. But Daniel says that God sets up kings and kingdoms. In 1 Timothy 2 says that we should pray for rulers and for all who have authority. Nations are at stake through the faith and obedience of ordinary believers like you and I. And the same goes for schools, businesses, councils, governments, and any other streams of influence. Just think how the treasuries of Queen Candace and even the financial circumstances of Ethiopia itself may have been influenced from just that one man. So let's pray that God puts faithful believers in front of our leaders that they might come to the knowledge of the truth and steer the course of governance in line with that of the kingdom of God. Okay, let's continue from verse 32. So, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, um, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? The Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So, here we see why the Spirit has brought these two men together. 
Jesus said that he must go so the helper could come, which is the Spirit. And he would lead us into all truth. So, who is all truth? Jesus, yes. So the Spirit leads us to the Son. And the main way he does this is through the Word of God. In this instance, Isaiah 53. As Paul guides him in the Scripture. But Philip could have sat with this man for weeks on end, talking to him until his face turned blue, unless the Spirit had opened the man's eyes to the truth. Some of you may have been sitting in church for years on end, hearing biblical teaching week in, week out, and never understood it. Pray that God gives you a revelation of the truth so you might see his son. And notice in verse 35 that it says, beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip starts where the Ethiopian is reading from, and then he draws in all the other parts of scripture to reveal the good news of Jesus. And Jesus himself modeled this to us on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24 says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was written in all the scriptures about himself. And this is because all scripture leads to Jesus. We need a revelation of God's word by his spirit that we might see his son. So I thought I'd just look at some of the themes uh, of Isaiah 53 that uh, the unit would have been written, um, reading. Sorry, I, f- I forgot to give the slide, so I'll just give you the verses so you can listen back to this another time and you can see that I wasn't lying to you. But, um, so Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men. He, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, verse 4. He was, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, verse 5. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, verse 7. There was no deceit in his mouth, verse 9. He shall make many to be accounted righteous. Now this is without shadow of a doubt talking about Jesus. And if you have come here today and you don't know him, let me just tell you, Read the crucifixion story. You can find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible. And then look at the details and go back and read Isaiah 53, a prophecy written 700 years before the events took place. And ask yourself, how did the writer know that? The writer knew because the writing was inspired by the Spirit of God who has a plan to reveal his Son so that all who believe in him might be saved. And that plan has been playing out since the world began and it will continue to play out in every detail perfectly until Jesus comes again in glory to restore this broken world and raise all who believe in him to eternal life. Hallelujah, yes! Jesus was rejected by men, humiliated and slaughtered on your behalf, and he was literally pierced in the hands and in the side by the hands of men and crushed by the hands of God for the forgiveness of your sins. We are still in the church age. The time of the Gentiles is at hand. Do not wait. Turn to him now and believe. So, We've looked at how we can be expectant of God's leading in our lives. We can look at how we've looked at how the Spirit wants to lead us into God's purposes. 
And my last point I want to look at is that the Spirit moves us to action. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to um, Caesarea. Now, there are three things that I want to look at in this passage that show us how the Spirit moves us to action. So we've just looked at how um, Philip took the eunuch all the way through the passage to reveal him Jesus. And he must have told him about the Great Commission. Go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Or something similar, because you can see the eunuch's enthusiasm when he sees the water. He's like, look, here's water, why don't you baptize me? You can see that excitement. Were we not the same when we first came to saving faith? Suddenly, we have a revelation of who Jesus is. And we want to do the things he did, and we want to say the things that he said. We want to follow him no matter what, no matter if we don't get it. If Jesus says, stand on your head, I'm standing on my head. If Jesus says, go and to the desert, as it were, I'm going. And baptism is an action of obedience to God's word. When the spirit is at work, there is greater holiness and obedience. We don't follow Jesus in a drudgery of do's and don'ts, but in eagerness to please the king of kings. The next action is rejoicing. When the Spirit is at work, we are filled with the joy of the Lord and we cry out. We cast aside our British stiff upper lip and we praise and worship him. We dance before the Lord in joy, a joy that this world cannot know. Ephesians 5 says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. I was looking at uh, Psalm 50. It's like, praise him on the cymbals. Praise him on the flute. Dance before the Lord. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And lastly, we can see the Spirit at work to empower them to witness. The Spirit carries Philip Away and Philip is moved into action elsewhere. The assignment is complete and he's not transported back to Samaria but onwards. And he continues in his default of obedience and faith that the gospel might expand. The same is true for the Ethiopian. He's brought into the purposes of God And we know he went back to his own nation and the nation was transformed. The nation became a Christian nation traced back to this Ethiopian man. When the spirit is at work, there is greater power to go. Think about the revivals in history. God didn't pour out his spirit in a mighty way for a jolly old time. But for the purpose of expansion, for growth, for advancement, the spirit, sorry, the kingdom of God advances. And I just want to read from Isaiah 53 again. 
Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I, have, I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I found, uh, formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. It's from this point in Acts that the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. There is a new covenant in Jesus Christ, and he brings life to where there is no life. The Gentiles will honor God and receive his son, Jesus, that they might declare the praises and glory of God. Now, finally, how can we apply this message to our own lives? Well, as in my first point, I hope you can understand the importance of cultivating a life of obedience and faith. We all want to see God move in powerful ways. I know I do. And we all want to be led by the Spirit. But in the midst of that, how is your default? How are you faithfully loving people? How are you faithfully witnessing to people? How is the gifts that God's given you, how are you using those to strengthen and uplift the church? These in themselves are all a work of the Spirit. Then beyond that, let me encourage you to look for how he might be directing you in your life, where he might be sending you, or indeed where he has already put you. Look for the opportunities to be drawn in to the purposes of God. That's exciting. Let's not ask why when we sense his leading, but be a people that says yes, even unto the desert. He is able to do great things through individual, ordinary believers who take him at his word. We couldn't care less about our vision for church. We couldn't care less about fulfilling our idea for what church wants to be. We want to be a church led by the Spirit, like Philip was, led into the great purposes of God, that Jesus would be known in Norwich and the nations. So, let us drink deeply from the well, so that we might rejoice in the joy of the Lord and be empowered for action, that he might fill us with boldness to go in obedience to his word. John 7 says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom, uh, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And here's some good news. Jesus has been glorified. The Spirit has been poured out. And we can flow with living water. Hallelujah. Yeah. 